The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. In a moment, I am going to say a word, and I don't want you to word associate. I want you to situation associate. So when I say this word here in a moment, I want you to think of the situation or the scenario where this word has popped up. Or I want you to think of the situation or environment you're in where this is the word that was repeated over and over again. Okay, ready? Here's the word. The word is careful. Okay? Think of that word, careful. And I want you to envision in your mind what comes to mind, what environments, what situations have you been in where you use the word careful. Uh, for me, one of the things I think about with that word, especially in the season, we're approaching, like, we're, appro- we're in November, we're approaching the Christmas season, we've got Thanksgiving around the corner, so there's going to come that moment, especially where, you know, the Christmas crazies, like, I love them, but the Christmas people, like, lights everywhere, right? It's going to come to that moment where you're going to be hanging some lights, stringing some lights, and you're on a ladder, and you're trying to reach the top, but you can't quite reach it. And then you look back down and there's a step in front of you that says literally not a step, right? And you're like, all right, guess I got to take it, right? And you step on that and like somebody's holding your ankles, right? That's a moment where I think of the word careful. Uh, For us right now, uh, my wife and I, we have a two-year-old and we have another one coming on the way, which is exciting. Uh, And so with this two-year-old, he's kind of in this place where he... uh, (laughs) He thinks he can do things that he's not coordinated enough to do. And so he'll be at a playground. He's writing checks that he can't quite catch. And so it's like he's on the playground, but it's us like following around, making sure and saying, Hudson, be careful, be careful, okay? Now, implicit in the word careful and whatever situation you probably envisioned when you thought of that word, implicit in that word is that there is a potential for harm. That's why you use the word careful, you use the word careful because care is needed or else you're going to experience some danger or harm. And we've been studying over the past few weeks this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema. It starts in verse 4 of chapter 6. And as we've been studying, it's teaching us about how to train our kids to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and might. But right before Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, in verse 3... The word careful pops up, and I want you to look at it because I think it's instructive for a couple of things. Look at me, look with me at verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's what it says. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. It's speaking about God's commands, his purposes. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do my commands and purposes, that it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So right before he goes into this section that calls us to raise our kids to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and might, he says, listen, you need to be careful. In other words, let me caution you and take care because it's easy to slip into this place where you forget to do what's most important, to be careful to keep the commands. There is something at stake. So he asks us to have proper care. And listen, life is busy. Life is full of 
taking kids to school and tutoring and athletics and after-school clubs and trying to find some family time and some alone time as parents and time for you and your spouse and time to work on your finances and pay bills and time to do all sorts of things. Life is busy. And in the busyness of life, it's so easy, less, unless we're careful, so easy to forget the most important thing that God has given to us. So easy to forget it. So he says, be careful. Now with that in mind, I want to show you, parents, grandparents, future parents, I want to show you Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's read verses 4 through 9. Just follow along there in your Bibles or on the screen as I read. It says, hear, hear O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is a passage we've been studying over the past few weeks, and if you're just joining us for part three today, I can't encourage you enough. Go to westpines.org, go on there, click on previous teachings, and listen to the previous messages. And so today, we're going to look at a moment or categories for our parenting. And, and if you would, there's a, a handout that you received in your bulletin. Go ahead and grab this. We're going to be using this as a companion and as a guide. Grab a pen. And if you don't have one, there's one in the chair back around you as well. So grab a pen and your handout. And here's what I want to give you. From Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, here's a starting point for your parenting. So if you're a current parent, I want you to write this down. If you're a current parent, write this down. Based on the truth, not this part, based on the truth of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, write this down. Here it is. I am primarily responsible for the spiritual development of my child or children. Write that down. Current parents, I am primarily responsible for the spiritual development of my children. That's what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 teaches. That you as parents, and with every stroke of your pen, feel the weight of it. That is a heavy burden. Feel it. Now, future parents, those who desire to be parents, students, I want you to write this down. I will be primarily responsible for the spiritual development of my future child or children. I will be primarily responsible for the spiritual development of my children, my future children. And with every stroke of your pen, feel the weight of that. That is a high calling. Now, this is something that's true in business, athletics, education, every sphere of life. Here it is. We can never get better at something that we're unwilling to take responsibility for. If something is somebody else's responsibility, if it's something that I've uh, outsourced to someone else, I'll never get better in that area. But if I'm willing to bear the weight and understand that there's a responsibility given to me as a parent to be the one that invests in the faith of my child with the weight of that and the burden of that, now I'm positioned in a place where although I'm not perfect and there isn't a perfect parent in this room, now I'm positioned in a place where I can get better. And so I want to share with you two scriptures that 
help you after I, I give you some hope. So that sounds daunting. That is a burden. But here's the hope. Write this down. Here's what it is in your blanks. It says this, I can't, but God can, and his spirit lives in me. This is hope for your parenting and my parenting. I can't, but God can, and his spirit lives in me. Let this wash over you as a word of encouragement. On the other side of that burden and responsibility, realizing, hey, that's on me. The spiritual development of my children, God has given me that responsibility. On the other side of that sobering and humbling admission, I now come face to face with my inability and my desperate need for God to come through. And this idea that I can't, but God can, and his spirit lives in me. The one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He is at work in your life, transforming you, convicting you, growing you, maturing you, and he intends to use you to encourage the faith of your children. And so I want to read these two scriptures to you. Here's Exodus chapter 3 to set this up. This is uh, quite incredible. In Exodus 3, Moses, the guy who's writing Deuteronomy. Exodus 3, Moses is in this place where God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to call you and use you to lead my people out of slavery from Egypt. My people are enslaved by the most powerful superpower at the time, Egypt. And Moses, I'm going to use you to lead them out of slavery. And Moses is like, you've got the wrong guy. And he makes excuse after excuse after excuse in Exodus 3. Look how this plays out, starting in verse 10. God speaks to Moses and says this, Come, Moses, I'll send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, Moses, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And so Moses, here's this incredible responsibility given to him by God. Imagine this. Hey, you've got to lead millions of people out of slavery. Boom, right? Moses is like, wait a minute. You've got the wrong guy. I don't speak very well. I can't do this. And God says to Moses, hey, Moses, you're forgetting something. You forgot someone in this equation, that if I've called you to do something, you can rest assured that I will equip you to do what I've called you to do. Look how he puts it in, look how the author of Hebrews puts it in, thir- in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. He says this, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will that he would work in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, may God, he gives this benediction, this blessing. He says, may God bless you and equip you and empower you with his spirit. The one who raised Jesus from the dead, may he equip you to do everything good that he desires for you to do. And so this is our anthem as parents. If we have been given such a great responsibility, the spiritual development of our children, the reality is we can't, but God can. And his spirit lives in us. This is the power for our parenting and the starting point for our conversation. So with that in mind, I wanna give you two categories to think through for how you teach your kids to love the Lord. 
Two categories to think through for how you teach, for how you instruct your children about who God is. And so the first one is this. Write this in your blank. It's planned moments. Planned moments. I'm going to warn you in the next few moments, you're going to get so much information you can't possibly digest it all in the next few moments. It's impossible. So what I encourage you to do as you're filling this notes out, when we finish up today, snap a picture of your notes, save it as your background on your phone, let it be something you come back to, discuss it in your groups this week, discuss it with your spouse. There's more scripture and, and material by design than you could possibly get your mind around in these next few moments. And so our goal and our desire is to equip you and to send you off with something to chew on and digest to start implementing in your parenting. And so the first thing First category to think through are planned moments of instruction. So Deuteronomy, I should say Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 says this. Teach them, speaking of God's word, God's commands, teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Put simply, parents, we are called to be teachers of God's word. Whether you feel gifted as a teacher or not, whether you're kind of uncomfortable doing it or not, we are commanded, according to Deuteronomy 6, to teach our children diligently and to talk about it when we sit in our home, that there are moments when we quite literally pause, sit, and plan to instruct our children. And what I want to do is, in these few moments, equip you with some simple ways to do just that. Uh, I remember when uh, starting to get older as a boy, approaching teenage years, there came that turn where my parents could no longer help me with my homework, right? Parents, many of you have experienced this where you're like, let me see that textbook, right? And you're like, I don't know, right? And now there's YouTube, right? Back then there wasn't YouTube that they could just, you know, oh, calculus for dummies, right? So you can't do that, uh, couldn't do that back then. But I remember, and the choice that any parent is given in that moment is to say, Sweet, I'm sorry. I have no idea what to do. I'm just going to have to get a bad grade. Oh, you could do that, or you can figure out who you need to call, or what you need to do, or what book you need, or what resource you need to educate yourself to be able to help your child. And when it comes to teaching our children and instructing them about who God is and instructing them how to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and might, maybe you're in a place where you're like, you know what? I honestly don't know where to even begin. I just, that's just not, that hasn't been a part of my parenting experience, then first of all, I'd say you're in the right place. You're in the right place. But let me encourage you. Learn. Take responsibility of it and get better. Commit. I'm going to get better in this area. So here's some ways that you can do this and implement this. Here's what I mean by planned moments. Consider what to teach. That's the blank in letter A. What to teach. What to teach. Five questions to ask and answer. So these are five questions that our next-gen ministry team, kids, students, young adults, we've worked together and we've fashioned these questions as tools that we want our kids that are part of our church at West Pines and our families, we want our kids to grow in increasing depth of understanding of these five questions. So I want to give you these five questions as a tool for you to use as content for how you teach your kids. Here's the first question that we want to ask and answer for our children. The first one is this, who is God? Who is God? We want to have times where we sit our children down and we teach them in whatever way, creative ways, that God is loving 
and kind, that he's gracious and merciful. We want to teach them that God is holy and righteous and just. We want them to know about the nature of God, that he is present and near, that he is so big, he's creator over everything. He made the stars and the galaxies. He made it all, including them. And at the same time, he is so connected to every detail of their little lives. We want them to know about the nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we can be made right with God the Father and enter a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for our sins and rose from the grave. And we want them to know the Holy Spirit who walks with them and indwells them and helps them to become more and more like Jesus. We want them to know the answer to this question in increasing depth. Who is God? And then... Uh, as they get to know who is God, there comes this moment. It's a holy uh-oh moment. This is a beautiful moment in the life of a child where all of a sudden the light switches on and they realize, oh my goodness, if this is who God is, if he is holy and perfect and righteous and I'm not, then how can I be made right with God? That's when we have the opportunity to teach them the second question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? The good news of what Jesus Christ has done so that imperfect, unholy, unrighteous people like us can be forgiven and redeemed and restored to relationship with God. Ephesians chapter two, verse four says, but God being rich in mercy, his bank accounts overflowing with mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is good news. This is the gospel. We need to teach our children the gospel, what Jesus has done for them. The gospel is, I can't, but Jesus did. He did everything that needed to be done so that we can be made right with God. And then that leads us to the third question. If that's who God is and that's what he's done for us through Jesus Christ, then we need to answer the third question, who am I? Parents, if you don't answer this question for your children, somebody else will. And middle school especially, it's this potent season where they're trying to figure out who they are, biological changes going rampant. Some of you middle school parents, you're like, yes, I know, right? It is a, a season where they are desperately seeking. It continues on through high school. They're desperately seeking, who am I? And if we don't point them to what God says about who they are, somebody else will fill in those blanks. And so the gospel informs us that we are children of God, that our children, if they've trusted in Jesus, are forgiven by God, that their failures don't define them, that they don't have to carry condemnation and shame we need to help our kids understand that they have an identity as God's beloved, as the one that God has set his affection and mercy and grace upon. We need to train them on who they are in Christ. Give them that identity that God declares over them. The fourth question, how do I worship God? So if this is who God is, if this is the message of the gospel of what he's done for us, and if this is who we now are because of Jesus, then what is our response? What does it look like to worship God? What would it look like for your child to obey God? What does it look like for your child to worship God through song, to pray to him, to read his word, to memorize his word? 
Help your child understand how they worship God as they give generously to others, as they give to the mission of the church. How do they worship God as they serve others and prioritize the needs of the people around them? And so an increasing depth as a child grows, help them understand, how do I worship God? Then the last question, what is the church? What is the church? Listen, if we graduate 18-year-olds and send them off to college and their understanding of the definition of what is the church is that it's a building you go to on Sundays, we'll have failed our kids. And the good news is it's not too late. The church is so much more. We are a family of faith on mission together with the greatest news in the world to give to the world to be God's kingdom ambassadors together. And so if you can help your child understand, hey, you're a part of this thing called the church that's so much bigger than you or, or me, bigger than mommy or daddy. There are, there are people who follow Jesus in Uganda, in China. There are people who follow Jesus in England and India and South America. Latin. We're a part of this family of faith that God has called together for centuries and decades and and millennia that we're a part of this family on this mission together and you get to be a part of God's purposes in the world to bring about peace and joy and love in this world. You're a part of the church. And so we need to be teaching our children these five questions. Now this is not exhaustive, this isn't gonna cover everything, but this is a good starting place and this is a tool we have created and, and we'd love for you to help your children grow in this area. So that's what to teach. Next, quickly, when to teach. Next page, B, when to teach, when to teach. Here's the important thing. Pick a time, then protect that time. Pick a time, protect that time. Start somewhere. It's easy for me to allow my busyness to be an excuse for why I put something off. I'll get to that some other time. But the lie of busyness is that it'll sometime get better. We'll always be busy. Your family life will always be crazy. It's the nature of it. It's the game we play. And so pick a time protect the time, and don't be afraid to start small. Start somewhere. Now, uh, with young kids, very practical. Here are some ideas for when to teach young kids. Uh, whether you've got grandkids, uh, whether you've got kids of your own who are young, or whether you are uh, someone who one day desires to have little ones. Here's a couple ways to do this. Bath time. Bath time. Something I do with my two-year-old is uh, I'll say, hey, Hudson, who made your nose? And he'll look at me and say, Jesus, right? He'll have this cute moment, right? I'll be I'll talk, yeah, he made your nose. And you could smell with it. Isn't, isn't God amazing how he made your nose to smell? And immediately, we're just having a little conversation over bath time, right? Now, typically, it doesn't go in much depth more than that, but that's two-year-old teaching them who God is. Maybe for you, another time that, that's very common is bedtime. Little ones, this works great. So bedtime, you set it apart before they go to bed, you read a story in scripture, you pray together, pray for your child, but pick a time, protect that time. For older kids, I don't recommend bath time. Uh, I recommend, uh, uh, for older kids, maybe you got teenagers, um, breakfast, if, if you got time at breakfast before school, or if that's too crazy for you, everybody's in a rush to get out of the house, maybe for you it's in the evening after dinner. Maybe for you it's uh, the car ride to school, and you uh, read a passage of scripture. Actually, you have your teenager in the back seat read so you don't 
crash while you're reading the Bible. Uh, so you, you pass them the Bible, hey, read this passage, and then let's talk about it. Let's talk about what this has to say. Uh, maybe for your teen, your older uh, kid, something that you could do is you pick a Saturday morning, Sunday afternoon. Maybe you have a tradition with your son that uh, you watch the Dolphin game together on Sundays. Uh, you put, put him through that collective cruelty, like he must embrace it, right? And, uh, and then afterwards, you go out to Starbucks and you read scripture and pray together. I don't know, pick a time and protect that time. Find a time where you can be with your kids, plan to teach them. Put it on your calendar if that's what's necessary. Here's the next one, C, how to teach. What to teach, when to teach, how to teach. Let me free you really quick. Think sowing seeds, not preaching sermons. Uh, for the sake of your children, not resenting you. You're not called to preach 30-minute sermons daily to your children, right? If we can have in our minds today or this week, I want to sow this seed of God's truth in the life of my child, that's my goal. And I believe in the promises of God that he says, when we sow seeds, he is faithful to bring the growth and harvest he intends. And so if I think I'm sowing seeds, not preaching sermons, now this frees me to a place where I can start small. So for young kids, here's a, a really helpful tool. The Jesus Storybook Bible, we have it as a resource in our resource center. Excellent tool to teach young kids about how all the Bible points to Jesus. Another great resource is the Bible for Kids app. Download it on your phone. If you make it a pattern, it's interactive, fun, teaches uh, the message of the Bible to kids. Uh, another uh, great thing to do with young kids is to have a weekly memory verse, and maybe you post it somewhere in your home, and you have it there, and every night of the week, you, you go through that memory verse, you work on memorizing it, encouraging that you're sowing seeds, instructing them about those questions about who God is. Uh, for older kids, maybe you have them read the Bible, and you ask those five questions of the passage. You get together with them, and you read a section, and Oh, wow, we just read about David and Goliath. Okay, well, what does this story teach me about who God is? What does this story teach you about the message of the gospel? What does this teach you about who God says you are? What does this teach you about how you should worship God? What does this teach you about the nature of God's family, the church? And you ask those questions and you start a dialogue. And even if you're confused, you're starting somewhere and you're sowing seeds. Do not be afraid of small, humble beginnings. I wanna read this quote to you. Um, this is from Barna. Uh, Barna is this research organization that uh, just does really incredible work researching faith in our culture. And here's what Barna said. They did a study that overlooks uh, the different factors that determine and correlate with whether or not a person has a lasting committed faith. And so they examine a number of factors. They look at people's church involvement, church attendance, uh, they look at uh, whether or not you've been in a small group or served at your church or you give to your church. They looked at all of these different factors that relate to a person's faith. And the most predictive factor that correlates strongest with a committed faith is regular Bible reading. Regular Bible reading. So that's to say that if a person regularly reads the Bible, regularly reads the Bible, then that has the strongest level of correlation with their faith being committed and lasting. And so parents, if there is one thing, if there's one thing that we can do is to help our kids fall in love with the word of God, to equip them with how to read God's word and to model for them what it looks like for us to be obedient 
to God's word. Maybe uh, if you have older kids, you can take the challenge from last week that Pastor Roby gave us to uh, these two resources. He said, disciplines of a godly man for the fellows and disciplines of a godly woman for the ladies. And the invitation was to get these books, order them on Amazon and start reading them. Here's a simple practical way. If you've got older kids, how about you get an extra copy for your teenager and you say, hey, sweetie, we're going we're gonna to read through this together. Or son, we're going to read through this together. And uh, I'll buy you lunch on me on Saturdays. Or we'll, we'll hang out. It's always on you anyways. Uh, but uh, let's be real. Uh, but you'll, you'll take them out. And you read through that book together. There's even a companion book called Disciplines of a Godly Young Man. Dads, imagine if you started to develop the kind of relationship with your child where you are discipling your son. Imagine the impact and the influence in future generations to come. And so those are planned moments, planned moments of instruction. Here's the second one, the second category to think through, seized moments, seized moments of instruction. So that should say Deuteronomy chapter six, excuse the error there, Deuteronomy six verse seven says this, you shall teach these commandments diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you go to church on Sundays. It's not what it says. Uh, and when you drop your kid off at kids' ministry, right? No, you shall teach them when you walk by the way. In other words, it's not confined to a particular environment, but you are teaching your kids about who God is. You're teaching, you're seizing moments throughout the day along the path of life. As you're walking by the way, you are seizing moments to teach them and help them know who God is. These are powerful, powerful moments. It's that time when you have that out-of-the-house child who's maybe even beyond college and has a career now. It's that time where they call you up and they start talking to you about something challenging they're going through, and God has given you a moment to seize. And although you might not have all the answers, in that moment you can testify to the goodness and grace of Jesus. You can pray with your child. You can seize that moment. It's that moment with your uh, elementary student when they're starting to get picked on or something is happening in their school that you can seize and take that moment and teach them about who they really are, about who God says about them. These are everyday, along the way moments. And so I wanna give you three, uh, three different opportunities to seize moments. Three opportunities to seize moments. Here's the first one. The first one is advice, advice. When we have moments where there's not necessarily a direct command to do this or not do this. Like when your teenager comes asking you, can I date this boy? Oh, Lord help us, right? When that moment, that conversation happens and you have an advice opportunity, you have an opportunity where it's not like, well, thou shalt not date, right? That's not in the Bible, okay? Now you're in a place where wisdom is required. And so I wanna read for you James 3, verses 13 through 18. James 3 says this, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice." But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James outlines for us that there are two sources for wisdom. We can get wisdom from the world that we live in. We can get wisdom from the popular culture that's around us. Earthly wisdom. Or we can get wisdom from above. Wisdom from him. And so even in moments where, quite frankly, as a parent, you have no idea the right thing your child should do. It's blurry. It's messy. It's complicated being a teen in these days. It's complicated being a kid in today's day. And so in those moments where you're not quite sure what to do, you can still point your kids to the wisdom of God by saying, sweetie, this is a tough decision. And I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. And to be honest, daddy needs help figuring this all out. So let's do this. Let's, let's pray together. Let's ask God to help give us wisdom for how to move forward. And then you stop and you pray. And you're seizing a moment, even when you don't quite know what's best to do, to point them to the wisdom of God. Find, them, find ways to point them back to the gospel. Find ways to point them back to the scripture, to the message of what Jesus has done for them. Okay, the second moment to try and see, second type of moment, B, success. Success. Second uh, Chronicles 26, verses 15 through 16. It is a powerful passage. In fact, one of my favorite stories in all of the Old Testament is 2 Chronicles 26. It's about this guy by the name of Uzziah. And Uzziah was this great king, uh, and and he just did so many incredible things. Uh, He was wealthy and powerful. He was famous from the surrounding nations. Everybody knew about this guy. And I want you to see what happens to Uzziah, the great king Uzziah, in verses 15 through 16 of 2 Chronicles 26. It says this, in Jerusalem, Uzziah, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Uzziah's downfall was not some failure. His downfall was success getting to his head. In moments of success in the lives of our kids, we ought to honor and celebrate them. We ought to take them out to eat to celebrate. We ought to uh, reward them and celebrate them in those moments of success, no doubt. But like a good writer who has a bibliography at the end of every book, so that the one who really is responsible gets the credit they're due, we as parents are to serve as that bibliography for our kids, helping them see how, wow, isn't it amazing how God gave you such intellect? Isn't it amazing how God gave you those skills on the football field? It's incredible that God gave you that ability so that you can bring glory to him in that way. Let's celebrate. Let's thank God for that, so that in moments of success, you are coming back to the grace, the power, the gifting that God has given your child. You're capturing. And then also, we need to be careful about what we celebrate with our kids. It's easy and it's instinctual for us to celebrate when they get straight A's, and we should. It's easy for us to celebrate when they hit a home run. It's easy for us to celebrate when they get the part in the play that they've been so desiring. It's easy for us to do that. What about the moments in the life of your child when they take steps forward spiritually? How do we celebrate when your little one memorizes the weekly memory verse before you do? 
How do we celebrate when your teenager invites their friend who doesn't go to church, who doesn't have a relationship with Christ? How do we celebrate when they bring their friend to church so that they might hear about Jesus? How do we celebrate that? See, the things we celebrate as parents will become a target. And that's the bullseye that our kids are going to seek to strive for. It's the target they'll aim for. What we celebrate will, will create the target that they're going to aim after. And so we need to be careful and make sure we're celebrating as they grow in their faith and love for Jesus. Today, in a moment, we're gonna be celebrating baptisms as a church. And there are some kids and middle school, high school student, students who are gonna be baptized. And parents, if there's ever a moment to just throw reason out the door and celebrate in a bonkers way, it is baptism. If there's a time to just like, Go crazy and be extravagant in celebrating for your child. It's the day where they decide to tell the world that Jesus is their Savior, that they have received him as Lord, and that they are a follower of his and not ashamed. That's a huge day to celebrate. That's a time to rejoice, to throw a party, and so celebrate those moments. In fact, in a moment, when we do that, even if your child isn't getting baptized today, I encourage you, go to kids ministry, grab your child, pick them up, go to middle school ministry, grab your middle schooler, bring them over to this back tent area and seize that moment as people are getting baptized to teach them about what's happening. Pull your daughter aside and say, sweetie, you see what's happening? That person right there, Jesus has changed their life. And they're wanting to tell all these people around you, their church family, they wanna tell them what Jesus has done for them. Seize that moment, celebrate that, so that when the day comes that they have put their trust in Christ and they're ready to be baptized out of their own decision, now they have it set and framed in mind of just how amazing and big of a deal this is. So we gotta be careful and seize the moments of success in that way. Next one, C, is failure. Seize moments of failure. Look at Psalm 51, verse 10. This is after King David made a huge failure. He had a huge failure, and then he made an even bigger failure to cover up his failure. And so David, after being confronted about his sin, he prays this. He says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When our children fail, and they will, they have. When they fail, we have an opportunity to point them to the one who can create a clean heart in them, who can renew a right spirit in them. We have the opportunity to, in the midst of their weakness, point to the strength of Jesus, to help them see that they have been forgiven through the blood of Christ and through his resurrection and that they aren't defined by that failure. That as they wrestle with the huge thing that they messed up, that you help clarify and help them see, listen, this was wrong, you shouldn't have done that. And I just can't sugarcoat that, son, that, that was wrong. But listen to me, that doesn't define you. You don't carry shame over that. Jesus has forgiven you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's in those moments of failure that God is giving us a window to share with them they need Jesus desperately. I wanna read this quote to you. This is from a book called Parenting by Paul Tripp. Here's what he says. He says, be thankful for these little moments of defiance when your children fail. Don't look at them as the bad moments of parenting, as hassles and interruptions. These are the good moments of parenting. These are moments of grace. Parents, listen to this. 
If your eyes ever see or your ears ever hear the sin and weakness of your children, it's never an accident. It's never a hassle. It's never an interruption. It's always grace. God loves your children and because he does, he has placed them in a family of faith so that you can be his tool of convicting, forgiving, and transforming grace. Imagine reframing the way you viewed those frustrating moments where it's like, again? Here again? I thought we worked through this. If in those moments we step in, we say a quick prayer, a little arrow prayer to God, Lord, give me patience and give me grace. Give me your heart like you've shown me to my child right now. And then we go to them and we represent the grace and love and mercy and kindness of Jesus Christ who has been so kind to us. It's in those moments that we can help them see that Jesus is greater than their failures. So here's the question, the last, the last blanks in your outline. Here's the question I want you to leave here wrestling with. When will I plan to teach my kids and what moments do I need to start seizing? When will I plan to teach my kids and what moments do I need to start seizing? In other words, where, when are you gonna take this, all these notes that you have, everything you've written down, when are you gonna do something about it? When are you gonna talk to your spouse about how to do something about it? Or how are you gonna talk to your group this week about what you're changing or implementing? All of these tools and, and things and resources we've given you, we want them for you to, to chew on and digest and say, okay, how can I start somewhere? And listen, if you're a parent, that if you're just honest, if you're just honest, you're just not at the place where teaching your kids is a part of your life. It's just nothing you've done. And here's, here's the thing I would encourage you with. Start somewhere. Take a step forward. Start small. If you are someone who does this on a somewhat regular basis, take a step forward and get more consistent. And if you're a parent who, on a regular basis, this is a part of your life, take yet another step forward and ask the question, how can I get better? Are my kids ready to go deeper? Do I need to change something up so that I can help them grow in their love for Jesus Christ? And so imagine for a moment with me what your family might look like if you started planning and seizing moments to teach your children about who God is, about what the gospel is, planning and seizing moments to help them understand who they are in Christ. Help them understand how they can worship God and what is the church. Imagine how your children will be radically different parents after growing up in a home where mom and dad or grandma and grandpa were a consistent influence on their faith and a constant source of prayer and hope. What would happen if we decided to be careful about the one thing that matters most for our kids and not allow the busyness of life to get us distracted but with proper care, we move forward and help them see just how amazing our God is. And so in a moment, we're gonna be celebrating baptisms and we're gonna uh, get to go out back this way and there's gonna be some people who are declaring through their baptism as they're buried down underneath the water and raised up out of the water, they're gonna be declaring that Jesus Christ died for them, was buried for them, and was raised for them. They're gonna be declaring that he is their Lord and Savior and Maybe you're here today and you've never turned to Jesus as your Lord. I want to give you the opportunity to do just that. And then there's no other beautiful way of declaring your faith 
that you've committed to Jesus than to follow him in baptism and to declare that. And so like Pastor Obi shared a while ago, we've got everything you need. We've got your shorts, we've got your shirt, we've got a towel. The only thing that would keep you from being baptized is whether or not you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me, and pray before we close. Father in heaven, I pray right now for all the parents, future parents and grandparents in this room, your word in Hebrews 13, that the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip us with everything good that we may do his will that you would work in us that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. That's our desire as parents, Lord. We confess we can't, but you can, and your spirit lives in us. Lord, I pray that encouragement would sweep over this room, that parents in here who feel like this is too late, my, my child is a teenager, my child is out of my home, Lord, would you just sweep over this place with encouragement? to help them see that, Lord, you can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask and that you've called us to sow seeds, to pray diligently and to trust you for the harvest. So that's what we do, Lord. We cling to your promises. We trust you. You love our children more than we ever could. And then if you're here and you're ready right now in this moment to pray and ask Jesus to be your Lord and you've never turned to him, then I wanna invite you to confess Jesus as your Lord. Just right there in a moment of prayer, say, God, I need Jesus. I need you. I need your forgiveness and your grace. Thank you for dying for me and for defeating death. I turn from my sins and I turn towards you. Father, we lift all this up in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.